Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. All right, it's great to see you on this Mother's Day. We've been making our way through this series, Move, and the theme of it, driven by Ephesians 4 and 5, is if you're going to move on, you've got to let... Yeah, and, uh, but with a little more oomph than that is the way the theme actually works. It's, it's kind of like this. If you're going to move on, you've got to let go. That's really the way the theme works. It's just like that. And that was really, really good. Can I tell you something amazing that just happened? We were in uh, the 915 service. And a man seated right over there had a cardiac issue. And I was about one-eighth of my way into my sermon, and uh, everything shut down. And we had a room full of people here, and we all just bowed and prayed. And we waited. And uh, our, our uh, emergency team was here, and they were on it. Our nurses and doctors were all over it and, and were helping, and, and uh, we waited for the uh, EMTs to come, and we were we were just parked. I mean, we were just parked. Everything was just parked. And we were praying and praying and praying. And finally, he, was, uh, he made his way out and they took him on to the, uh, to the uh, hospital. And as far as we know right now, he's, he's doing much better. And we're grateful to, to God for that. But uh, when, when, that, when that was over, um, the Lord just said, hey, you're not going to preach your sermon today. That's done. And uh, just share the gospel. And we had 13 people stand and give their lives to Christ just last hour. <laughs> um, and then after that took place and I mean, I literally, I had everybody standing. They stood in front of, uh, you know, God and everybody, and, and we, we, we sent them out. And then I, a second miracle happened. I preached the shortest sermon of my life. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you're applauding. I, I'm trying to. I don't think it'll happen again, though. I don't think it's going to happen seven minutes. It was unbelievable. I told him, I said, I worked hard on this sermon, so I'm going to give it to you really quick. And I did. I mean, it was really quick. Is anybody here going to have an issue today? So I just need to know how to plan. I want you to take your Bibles and turn. I did want you to know, by the way, God is still working. We had church last hour. It was amazing. We had church. All right, now take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We want to look at verses 29 to 30, 29 to 30. As uh, uh, Paul is, is bringing us, he's, he's, he's unpacking for us uh, illustrations and challenges, illustrations and challenges to show us what it looks like for a person who is a follower of Jesus, a person who has, by definition, taken off the old life, put off the old self, 
been renewed in his or her mind, in her mind, heart, emotions, will, been made new in Christ, and who has begun then the process of putting on uh, the new life that goes with the new self Christ has given them. And uh, he's given us some illustrations that we've seen already. He's shown us how it is that a follower of Jesus, as they're living their lives practically, how it is that they put off falsehood and put on truth-telling, speaking the truth in love. How it is that they put off uh, unrighteous anger and put on righteous anger in its place. All as a matter of living the new life that only Christ can give. Here's, here's the reality, and this is so important for us. If we've come to have new life in Christ Jesus, what that means is that that new life is a gift. That new life lives in us just as Christ lives in us. That new life comes with the capacity, or that new self, I should say, comes with the capacity to live an entirely new life. In other words, what I mean by that is the power we need to live the life Christ gives is the power we have by the Holy Spirit. And so what, what that means is that as a follower of Jesus is living his or her life, it's a matter of staying open to the work of God and saying yes to him and leaning into the power the Spirit gives to live the life that Jesus has for us. We still have a choice, we still have a decision to make. And so as believers, we have new selves made new in Christ. We've been given new hearts, new minds, new attitudes, but with that new self and, 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 and that new mind, then there comes a new life that, that is expressed and experienced as we continue to make the choice to live the life Christ has given. It's there. We simply have to use it. We simply have to live it. And he empowers us to live it. It's a choice to say yes to him. And then as a matter of life, to keep saying yes to him and yes to him in all areas of life, no to sin, yes to Christ. Uh, no to lies, yes to truth. No to unrighteous anger, yes to righteous anger. We have to make that choice. Now, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it in his, but we have to stay open to him and say yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. The new life is something God works in me and works in you. Now, today, we want to look at the challenge of conversation, and Paul speaks to the issue of what conversation looks like in healthy relationships, particularly in the body of Christ. And so he focuses on the use of words and the use of conversation. He says, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 29 and 30. You'll find that on page 978 in your worship Bible in the back of the row in front of you. He says, Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so today I want to speak to you about the power of words, about the power of your words for your life and for your relationships. Uh, words are things that we use every single day. Technology has made it incredibly easy to use words, easier than ever before. More than ever, words are cheap to use, conversations are constant, and our cheap words and our constant conversations can be extremely 
powerful. Indeed, if you'll pause with me and think just for a moment, some of your greatest personal experiences have come about as the result of words someone spoke to you. At the same time, some of your darkest personal experiences, some of your most painful personal experiences came about as the result of words that someone spoke to you, of the words that someone said to you. In his book, Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back, Charles Swindoll writes about a woman who tragically took her life. She left an unfinished note that simply read, they said, they said. She never completed her final thought because whatever they said, was painful enough to extinguish her desire to live. Our cheap words and our constant conversations can be incredibly powerful and more powerful than you or I tend to know or remember as we live our lives. Now, if that weren't heavy enough, it's important for us to go on and hear the words of Jesus because Jesus says that our words, our conversation, not only have impact here, they have an impact for eternity. In one of his most bracing teachings, he warns us and he says, on the day of judgment, People will give account for what's the phrase there? Every careless word they speak. For God, our words not, are, are not only cheap and powerful, but they're eternally significant. Significant enough to warrant receiving an explanation. Watch this. For every single word. And this takes the subject of our words and our talk and our conversations to a whole new level of importance. And so I want to pursue with you the question today, why is God so serious about this? And what does it mean, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus? Why does every word we say matter to God? Why does every word we say matter to God? Paul gives us insight in our text as he turns his attention to challenge believers to do two things, to consider how they talk, especially to each other, and then to choose a new kind of conversation instead of the old kind of conversation. And with his challenge, he's highlighting the choice that their conversations show, the power their conversations have, and the problem their conversations can become in their relationship with God. And as he does, his challenge yields three principles of conversation that God's people are meant to know and apply so that their new lives and their 
consequently, new relationships can be sustained. Watch now with the new conversation that Christ makes possible in their relationships. There is a new kind of conversation, a new approach to conversation that Paul is saying is characteristic of those who are followers of Jesus. Here are the three principles. We're going to look at them today by God's grace for his glory. If you guys stay well, stay well. I'm watching you, stay well. All right, here we go. Principle number one, every conversation has a heart choice behind it. Every conversation we have has a heart choice behind it. Number two, any conversation can have lasting consequences coming from it. Any conversation you or I have can have lasting consequences coming from it. And the third principle is every conversation has a divine companion in the midst of it. Every conversation has a heart choice. Any conversation can have lasting consequences. And finally, every conversation has a divine companion. Let's look at the first today. Are you ready? Here we go. The first principle of conversation that Paul directs us to is this. Every conversation has a heart choice behind it. Look at verse 29 and the beginning. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only let such conversation or talk as is good. And the implication is come out of your mouth. We begin where Paul begins here. And I want you to notice that. He begins with let not. This command to let no corrupting talk come out of their mouths and to let uh, only uh, uh, good talk come out of their mouths is critical here. The command to let talk come or not come implies an ongoing choice, an ongoing decision. In other words, this is one of those areas where as a follower of Christ, you've got a choice and you've got to make that choice with every conversation. So Paul is showing us that as new believers living with those new selves, in Christ, every conversation is a matter of our own choice. Now, what's important for us to see here is where this choice actually comes from. Jesus teaches us and shows us in both Matthew 15 and Luke 16. In fact, he shows us where this choice comes from and how this choice works. In Matthew 15, Jesus tells his disciples, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. In other words, the choice of what we say and how we say it begins with the heart that we have. This is true for those who are followers of Jesus. This is true for those who are not followers of Jesus. The words and the conversations that we have and say are all a consequence of the heart that we have. In Luke 6, Jesus adds to this principle and he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Now watch this, for out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. In other words, out of the overflow, the ongoing quality and the ongoing flow of our conversations comes from the ongoing quality and overflow of our hearts. And what this means is that every conversation we have outside of us starts inside of us. For all of us, life is lived from the heart. Words come from the heart. Conversations are made of words. 
expressing ideas and opinions and feelings forged in and shared from the condition of our hearts. So in a very real sense, and this is critical for us, in a very real sense, every conversation we have can be credited to two choices that we've already made. Our conversations are born first out of what we have chosen to say and the way we've chosen to say it in the moment. Oh, that's brilliant. Is different from, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Our conversations are born out of what we choose to say and the way we choose to say it in the moment, but it's also, they're also forged by another prior choice of what will fill our hearts. So when Paul says, don't let corrupt talk come out, but instead let good talk come out of your mouth, he's obviously calling for the consistent choice of good words said in good ways in conversation, but he does so knowing that this choice radically depends upon the prior choice to fill and nurture our hearts, our minds, our wills, and our emotions with what is good. How this is done, he's already shown us. Look in verse 23. It happens by way of the, the ongoing renewal of our minds. As we've seen, this mind renewal involves cooperating with the Spirit of God in this method that he always uses to change our thinking and our feeling and our actions. He takes his word, he applies his word to our minds and to our hearts, to our mind's will and our emotions, and, and that is the way he brings lasting change to old lives. Takes his truth, found in his word, he implants it in the heart, he implants it in the mind, and then he uses it to reshape our thinking and our seeing and our understanding so that our living becomes like God's. We, we begin to be godly in our living. And when this happens, we not only act as God would act in our lives, in our relationships, but we also begin to speak as God would speak. Our conversations become godly conversations. And the ongoing choice to be open to and practice the filling of our minds and our hearts continually with God's truth then means that our old choices and our old uses of conversation change. We begin to use conversation differently. It is out of the overflow of our hearts that uh, naturally spill, the content naturally spills into the conversation of our mouths. And when we're walking with Christ and and we're constantly exposing our minds and our hearts to his truth, and we're constantly experiencing his love for us in that way, then our conversation begins to be shaped and molded always by his truth. And it's always said with that love that is so characteristically his. His truth and his love color all that we say to others as well as the ways that we Say it when we're constantly exposing, filling our hearts with his truth and his word. You know this works this way, right? You and I can be having a conversation and I can be talking about ACC basketball and then suddenly you're talking about cats. Like cats have anything to do with basketball. Why does that happen? It is because your heart is overflowing with love. Nobody knows why. At least I don't. With love for cats. Now, I've just defended all the cat women and men. Uh, that was a close one in the room. But you know that's true. If I, my heart is overflowing with bitterness and anger, then my conversation is going to be marked by 
bitterness, and anger. If my heart is full of criticism, my mouth will be full of, yeah. And so for a believer, and this is critical for a believer, it's absolutely imperative that we be exposing our minds and our hearts to the Word of God and the fellowship of God around His Word. It is then that He shapes my mind, my heart, my emotions, and my conversation really begins to change. We have a, a, a little habit we practice with a staff around here. And we actually practice it at home sometimes as well, where if somebody's having kind of a sideways day and, uh, well, their conversation is not very, well, you know, you know. And uh, one of the things we'll do is we'll just call them out, particularly in the office. We'll just say, hey, man, did you not have your quiet time today? Did you forget to talk to Jesus today? And sometimes I want to send people back to their offices and say, go, 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 go have your quiet time. And then come back and let's talk. What we fill our hearts with, our mouths become full of. And so every conversation ultimately has behind it a heart choice. The quality of our conversation is driven by the condition of our hearts. Now, I want you to see the second principle with me. The second principle of conversation that Paul directs us to is this. Any conversation can have lasting consequences coming from it. He says, verse 29 again, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, now that Paul has pointed us to the heart choices believers can make before and during their conversations, he moves next to point them on to the lasting power that any conversation can have in the lives of other people based, watch now, upon the kinds of conversation that they have. And he offers two kinds of conversation that require our direct attention, talk that corrupts and talk that builds up. Each comes with its own distinct consequences. We see this as first he calls believers to abandon corrupting talk or corrupting conversations. Corrupt conversation like deception or unrighteous anger or stealing is another old method for trying to make life work our way. What does that conversation look like? What does it sound like? What is he talking about? The word corrupting in verse 29 is key here. It's a word that Paul uses to get our attention. In fact, to his original hearers, it would have been a bit shocking. Um, corrupting is a colorful word, often translated filthy or unwholesome or harmful. It was used to describe rotten wood, diseased lungs, rancid fish, withered flowers, rotten fruit, anything putrid, the kinds of things that can make a person sick. And so Paul deftly uses this word to convey the kinds of conversations that actually make people sick. The putrid words he warns against can make others sick. And so Paul wants believers to gag even at the thought of letting that kind of talk come out of their mouths. Now, what, 
what kinds of conversation does Paul include in this corrupt, putrid talk? Well, conversation that is indecent and conversation that is abusive. Conversation that is indecent and conversation that is abusive. First, conversation that is indecent, any off-color jokes, sexual stories, double entendre, profanity, vulgarity is indecent. It does harm to the hearer. Second, any conversation that is abusive, that is slanderous, contemptuous, demeaning, mockery, criticism addressed to another or said about another, gossip that delights to spread the news of another's misfortune or another's poor choices or another's poor condition. How do those corrupt words sicken? Well, there are two ways. First, corrupt conversations can direct or encourage others to think on or imagine things that are outside of and opposed to God's best. And because they direct the attention of others to things that are not God's best, they do harm. Our sickening words can cause sick thinking, which in turn can cause sick living. We can draw attention to and suggest ideas. God opposes as unholy and therefore as unhealthy. Our conversation can help others develop attitudes and acts that do them extraordinary heart. Think, 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 think. The power of words includes the power of suggestion. And the power of suggestion carries with it the power of direction. And so when you glorify sexual example, adventures, yours or somebody else's, you're promoting adultery. You're promoting a lifestyle that does such damage. With your words, you could actually be encouraging the abandonment of children, the ruin of marriages. With our words, we can belittle the sacredness of sex. And with our words, we can cheapen the person of God, taking his name in vain. With our words, we can make light of his purposes. We can make light with our words, with the reality of damnation, with the reality of hell. By using words when we're mad or surprised or even delighted, we can discourage moral character and encourage immoral behavior that harms. Our talk can reinforce the lies of our world, those lies that it wants us to believe. Our conversations can make evil seem good and good seem evil. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Our culture gets coarser and coarser and coarser and coarser and coarser. And the language of the people around us is littered with all kinds of expletives and all kinds of stories and all kinds of sexual innuendo. I know. I understand. But what you need to understand if you're a follower of Jesus 
is that you were made for much better than that. You know better than that. You are not God and you cannot damn anything. You are not God and you cannot swear by hell if you want to. And if you turn sexual intimacy into an expletive, you're cheapening a good gift that God has given to the world. And see, the problem is that damnation is real and hell is real and sex is sacred. That's not who you are. That's not part of the life you've been given. You're meant to be a light. You're not meant to be more of the darkness. If you've got to say something when you hit your thumb with a hammer, say that hurts and leave it there. How's that? (laughs) Okay, okay, let's shorten it. Just say ouch. Move on. You live in a whole new realm now. Get rid of that rancid, putrid stuff. Well, come on, somebody say amen. Amen. What's wrong with y'all? Somebody over here say amen. Amen. Like you mean it, Amen. 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 Good, good, good. All right. Second, our our corrupt conversations can sicken others by causing them to lose lose hope, by challenging a healthy sense of self-worth, by challenging a healthy sense of what they can do or become. And if we're not careful, our words can belittle people, can mock their weaknesses, can celebrate their failures, can question their value. We can tear others down and make them sick for a long time, or we can tear them down and make them sick for a lifetime by influencing how they view God and how they view life and how they see themselves with the conversations they have with us. You see, our words can be weapons, means by which we cut people down to the size that we think they should have. And we can try to defeat them in pursuit of some personal superiority, some personal need for recognition, some personal need for security, just out of plain old stubborn pride. The bottom line is those who have put on the new self in Christ should never use talk that harms. Never. Ever. Ever. 
Now, Paul points to the alternative kind of conversation that has a very different set of personal consequences. He, he describes it as edifying talk. You see it. He says, instead of corrupting talk, believers are to use good talk or conversation as the re, uh, relational alternative for living the godly life Christ gives. This is conversation that Paul says specifically is good for building up. The word building up was originally used to describe the process of construction, of building a building. And so Paul presents this kind of conversation as being a significant part of a process whereby others find themselves improved by the words spoken to them. And this is what Paul is getting at here. This kind of talk is so important uh, for believers to practice that Paul describes it with greater detail here. He says that edifying conversation is first of all encouraging, encouraging. To encourage is to give strength to. Encouragement is something that every single one of us need, primarily because the, the strength life requires is ultimately not the strength we have. There's not a person in this room who doesn't need some encouragement. Not a single person in this room, and the most arrogant, the most cocky person you know, still deep down inside has the need for encouragement. Why? Because life is more than we can handle. Life is more than any of us can handle. And we all need someone who can come in and speak courage into our lives. We had a law enforcement memorial here for Winston-Salem, Forsyth County, law enforcement officers uh, on Tuesday. And we had hundreds and hundreds of police officers here uh, uh, gathered in this place, remembering those who had fallen. And then uh, as a church, we provide a meal for all of those officers just to say thank you to them. And I stood at the head of the line on your behalf. I stood at the head of the line and I thanked every single officer, every single officer who walked through that line I took them by the hand and I held on to it and I would not let go and I put my hand behind their elbow so they couldn't jerk it away. It's called a pastoral arrest. <laughs> I mean, this is my house. <laughs> I mean, what are they gonna do, arrest me? I mean, it's my... And I looked every single one of those officers in the eye and I said, I, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you because you make a difference. My family is safer because of what you do. And I want you to know I'm grateful and I want you to know we're grateful. And we're honored when you act honorably. So keep on doing the good work you do. It was amazing, you know, how hard police, and if you're an officer here today, I'm just, I'm sharing one of your secrets, but you're off duty, you can't arrest me, just be nice. I guess they could arrest me, but this is my house. But I watched I watched this tough facade probably nine times out of ten just go. Why? Because they're people and people need encouragement. People need encouragement. It is the strength 
we need to live. Practically, such conversation includes words of affirmation and appreciation and acceptance and even loving warning and loving rebuke and loving correction. It includes the declaration of truth. It includes prayer. One of the most encouraging things you could ever do for another person is when they're sharing with you what they're going through is to simply pause and say, do you mind if I pray for you? Can I pray for you right here, right now? The consequences of this kind of talk is far-reaching. It makes a significant difference to the individuals and to the health of relationships. It strengthens them. But corrupting things like undue criticism create fear, especially fear of the loss of value, fear of failure. Edifying conversations give support. They give confidence. They give hope. They hearten. They cheer. They uplift. They inspire. They motivate. They embolden. And because the best time for encouragement isn't when it's deserved or when it's asked for, but whenever it's needed, Paul goes on to say, secondly, that edifying talk is appropriate. While what is said in conversation is important and how it is said is important, when it is said is also important. Edifying conversation is appropriate in that the message it gives fits, as Paul says, the occasion. The message fits in the sense that it meets the person or the present situation at the point of that person's need. It's like water given to a thirsty man. It's like a life ring thrown to a drowning woman. And that's why Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So edifying conversation is, is, is just what I need where I am given what I'm facing. It's the right word spoken in the right way for the right reasons at the right time. My, uh, my son recently got a great promotion and, and he was so excited and, and called us to tell us about it and, and um, uh, was on the phone sharing it with us and, and I'm listening. Have you ever heard of a Debbie Downer? Well, that day I was a daddy downer. Yeah, it was awful. And I didn't even know it. And he's, he's, he's got this promotion, he's getting ready to move and he's excited and he's, you know, kind of taking a backbite and all this stuff. And, and he's going on, you know, and I'm hearing and, you know, and I started out as the proud dad and then I went to the worried dad. And I started as a proud dad, oh, son, we're so proud of you. And then all of a sudden that the proud dad took a seat and the, and the worried dad got in and started talking and he should have just been quiet. And I said, now, son, you know, I said, this is this really great, but, and so that's where I fell off the wagon. Um, this is a really great, but you got to be careful. Don't overwork yourself. You know, you got a, you got generations behind you of men who died early because they overworked. Now that's true. It was all true. It was the right word said in the right way. For the right reasons, it was just the absolutely wrong time. So Cheryl waited about, I don't know, two or three days, and then finally she came to me. She said, um, <clears throat> Steve? Yes. Um, you know, Kristen's call? I said, yeah. She said, mm, not so good. I said, why? Deeply offended. Why? Well, it, it, it just didn't fit. Ah, uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. 
It's just the dad, the worried dad kicked in and knocked out the proud dad. And so I got on the phone and I said, son, I'm, I, I need to apologize. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't handle that well. And um, he agreed. <laughs> it was, he did it in a nice way, but he agreed. He agreed. And uh, we made up and it was all good. But I messed up because look, here, here's the reality. The right word said in the right way for the right reasons at the wrong time is the wrong word. But let's look at it on a positive perspective. The right word is, is the kind of word that's spoken just when you need it. See, you know what that means, don't you? And that is that edifying conversation is the kind of conversation that always comes out of people who are really good listeners. Edifying conversation comes from really good listening. Why is that? Because a, a really good a person who's really good at, at edification in terms of their conversation, are going to so listen to you that they're looking for a way to build you up and make you strong. And if you say, I'm struggling here, they're going to catch that. If they say, I'm really, I'm really glad over this thing, they're going to catch that and they're going to affirm that with you. They're going to find a way as a result of this conversation to make you stronger, to make you better, to bring you benefit. That's what they're going to do. That's what edifying conversation does. And it always comes from those who are really good at listening. Now, I want to be clear about something as we go on where Paul tells us that finally this edifying conversation is grace giving. He says, speak at the end of verse 29, that it may give grace to those who hear I want to be clear about something. Harmful, corrupting words give the gift of grief to the hearers, but helpful, edifying words give the gift of grace. And to grace means to bless. It's to bless them not with good words, but with conversation that does them good, that is beneficial. It's conversation that leaves them stronger rather than struggling, better rather than bitter, blessed rather than cursed, for having heard your words, for having been in conversation with you. But I want to be clear about something. Paul's not talking about feel-good talk. He's not talking about some kind of positivity. He's calling for godly, edifying conversations. He's calling for gospel-driven conversations. He's calling for conversations that give support and confidence and, and hope and, and that hearten and cheer and uplift and inspire and motivate and embolden simply because of who Christ is and what Christ has done and what he's doing and what he's promised to do. This is a whole different level of conversation. These are conversations that are anchored in and driven by the truth of God's redemptive plan, his gift of life secured at the cross, made available through the resurrection. These are conversations that build up by reinforcing those great truths we all need to, to live and to genuinely live strong. They're conversations that reinforce the fact that God is holy and that God is love, that he never changes. They're conversations that reinforce in a million different ways that you are loved and you are sinful. And when you receive his gift of life in Christ, you can be sure that his love has dealt with your sin finally and completely, that this God has finished, finishes what he starts. 
It is the kind of conversation that reminds believers in particular that once you are his, nothing can stand in the way of his love for you or of his salvation of you and nothing can stand in the way of his ultimate plans for you. These are the kinds of conversations that come out of a heart that is trained in the gospel. And even if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe, you can be full of hope because there is still hope available to them in Christ. There is hope still available to them in Christ. Amen. That's how it works in church. Y'all wake up. Any conversation, there's a stark warning for us here. Any conversation, no matter how small or seemingly trivial, has the potential for powerful consequences that are lasting. We can lift others up. We can make them stronger for a long time and a lifetime. Or we can tear others down. We can make them weaker for a long time or a lifetime, depending upon the conversation. I want you to notice with me a final principle that Paul directs us to. And that is this, that every conversation has a divine companion in the midst of it, verse 30. Paul wants all believers to know that corrupting words can also do damage, cause loss, bring grief to their fellowship with God by bringing grief to the Holy Spirit of God. And so he says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, the Holy Spirit takes your words, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit takes your words personally. You have a companion in the midst of your conversations. He takes your words personally. Because your words are either going to reflect the truth, the reality of his presence in your life, or your words are going to deny the presence of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God in your life. One or the other, your words are going to be things that he takes personally. Now, I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit of God works in the church of God to bring people together, to unite them. It is the Holy Spirit of God who works in the family that, that belongs to Christ to bring families together. It is the Spirit of God who works in Christian marriages to keep husbands and wives together. It is the Spirit of God who is always working to create unity among the people of God. And when we use corrupting talk, we stress and we strain and we pull apart. The unity that the Spirit of God is working for, and suddenly the God who lives inside us, the Holy Spirit who lives inside us, who has been given to us to empower and encourage us, suddenly becomes the Holy Spirit who opposes us because we are, with our words, opposing Him. He takes it personally. And there are some believers in this room today because your conversations have been corrupt rather than edifying. You felt for a long time a kind of separation and a kind of alienation from God, and it's been ongoing, and you haven't understood why. You knew you had maybe a language problem. You knew maybe you had a story problem. You knew maybe you had a critical spirit. You knew maybe you were a little too condemning, but you didn't realize the depth or the impact of your conversation on your 
fellowship with the God of the universe. You've wondered why he feels so distant. It is because he takes your language, your conversations personally. See, we need to remember that the work of the Spirit in in the church and the work in the Spirit in this world are absolutely essential for eternity. He unites the church and keeps the church, works to keep the church united so that the church can make an eternity's worth of difference in the lives of lost people, helping others like we just saw in last service to find their way to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and to know eternal life. When believers in the body of Christ use corrupting talk in their relationships and create separation and division, the world doesn't get to see or know the truth as it is in Jesus because all they see in us is a lot of conflict and fighting. And we do an eternity's worth of damage by the conversations that we use. So it matters eternally to the Spirit's work in this world whether Christians and churches have relationships that build up rather than tear down. It matters eternally to the Spirit's work in families if Christian parents have relationships that build up rather than tear down. It matters eternally to the Spirit's work in lost people if His people speak to them using His words of life or words that reek of death. You see, loved ones, there's a sense in which every conversation a believer has is meant to be a gospel conversation. Either our conversations should be used for sharing the gospel of Jesus with others with a view to their salvation, or they are to prepare them for that gospel by modeling it. Just as the gospel of Jesus does people the ultimate good by showing Christ to be God's ultimate gift to save, so too our conversations, each of them, all of them, should have the same gospel ends. And that means that every conversation we have with others should serve to do two things. They should serve to do people good and make Jesus clearer. Do people good and make Jesus clearer. Do people good and make, pe- and make Jesus clearer. I want to do you good. I want to build you up. I, I want to speak in such a way to you that when you're done speaking with me, you want to talk a little longer. I want you to feel built up and better, not broken and bitter. Even if I have to say a hard word to you, I want to say it in such a way that I'm actually investing you, I'm actually pouring in you so that as a result of the encounter, you come away stronger. I want to do you good. And I want to do it in such a way that reflects Jesus. I want to make Jesus clearer. I want you to be able to see him in me. I want to do you good. I want to make Jesus clearer. Those are the two standards. I want to do my wife good. I want to make Jesus clearer to her. I want her to catch glimpses of Jesus in me in every word that I say. I want my kids to catch a glimpse of Jesus in me in everything I say.
I want to do them good. Why does every word we say matter to God? Why? Every conversation matters because any conversation we can have, any conversation we can have, can have lasting, eternal consequences. And at the end of the day, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he loves people. And his heart for people is that they be strong, stronger, that they be everything he created them to be. His heart is that they find their way to that life through his son, Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It strikes me that Jesus from beginning to end was one, one long living conversation. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He was one living 33-year conversation in its first chapter. Well, actually, it's the first chapter here on earth. In his coming, he showed us who God is. In his living and in his teaching, he showed us what God wanted. In his dying on the cross, he showed us what we lacked and what only he could give. Stood in our place, took our sin, bore the weight of it. In his resurrection, he showed us the power that God has to take our old broken lives and put them back together and raise them up to make them what he always intended. Jesus is one long, beautiful conversation. And guess what? The conversation has not ended. He's coming again. He comes to finish what he started. He came do us good and to show us his father clearly I'll tell you what I love what I see when I see Jesus I had a great dad but he was nothing like the father I see when I see God's grace and for his glory. You know what? I get to live in the midst of that conversation for the rest 
of my existence. And that, my friend, is a good deal. I don't deserve it. You didn't expect that, did you? It's all right, man. It's church. your life, tell me, do you find signs of the presence of new life that comes from a new self in Christ? Is it there? Do you see it? And if you do, do you find that your conversations are consistently making and leaving people better? and showing Jesus more clearly. If not, today's your day. Stand to your feet. Today's your day. He's ready to give you a new day with new conversations that reflect the new life that he's called you to live. Some of you today, here's the reality. You spend a lot of time trying to live a good life, trying to earn your way into God's good favor. It cannot be done. It will never be done. You and I are too broken to ever make that happen. We can't fix the sins we've committed and we can't stop sinning. If we're ever going to have a relationship with God, it's going to have to be coming. It's going to have to come to us from Him, and it does in Christ. Thirteen people gave their lives to Jesus just an hour and a half ago. Today was their day, a day for new life. There's some folks here today, you look at your life, you don't see a lot of change. You might have a Christian background, not a lot of change. No new life, just old life papered over with good deeds. Today, Jesus says to you, come to me. Poor, needy, weak, and wounded, sick and sore, come to me. Come to me, and I will heal you up and make you new. Come to me. You're a follower of Jesus and your conversation, your words have been broken, biting, hurting words. Jesus says to you, come to me. Poor and needy, sick and sore, weak and wounded, child of mine, come to me. I want to heal up. Heal up your heart. Let's start with your heart. So we can transform. Not Jesus covered up. I want to invite you as we come to this song of invitation. The altar is open. If you're a prayer partner, would you come take your place? We'd love to pray with you.
God would speak to you if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to come. Ladies, we have ladies here. Men, we've got men. Let's take one of them by the hand and say, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Maybe you're realizing that your words and your conversation are not what they need to be. The altar's here. You can kneel. You can pray. You can ask someone to pray with you. As together we sing this song of response. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.